Last time I heard that song, you remember that camp? We, Trina and I were at an Assembly of God Pentecostal camp meeting. You all act a little different than they did when that song's going on. I was half expecting our camp president to get out the shofar during that uh, song. Some of you don't know what that is either. So good to be with you. Uh, There's no way to express to you how my family cherishes this place and cherishes you and cherishes this time and what God has done in our lives uh, over 25 years and uh, now in my children's life. And uh, they're already planning for their own families. So this will be a family reunion place for us as well. Um, there's no way to extend our thanks enough to you. Um, I, I should say, um, we've, we've say in our house, we have two favorite places in the entire, in the entire world. And uh, one of them is here, and one of them is Clearwater Beach, Florida. So that's a pretty good deal, you know. And I'm pretty sure if you really pinned us down, all of us, this would probably edge into first place. So uh, special. So no way to extend all of our thanks to all of you who mean so much to us. But um, thanks for your kind generosity to us always. And uh, especially our camp president, who not only is such a great leader in this place, but such a great brother in Christ and a friend to us. And uh, we are indeed blessed. And uh, these workers this year, One of my favorite things about camp is not only the fellowship we have together, but the fellowship with the workers that God appoints, and uh, these brothers in Christ have uh, enriched our lives. A little known fact, uh, you can uh, put this in the camp. You know, if if we develop one day the Camp Psyker trivia game, is that in the works? Trivial Pursuit Camp Psyker version? Maybe For the 150th, yes. So uh, we're going to have the hula hoop, uh, Drew Clark challenge in that, and uh, all kinds of good stuff. But uh, you can put in there that for, 19, or for 2018, uh, that all three of the platform workers were actually born in the city of Chicago. So we just learned that this year. So there are some good things that come out of Chicago. Praise the Lord. And hopefully. Amen. Could you turn with me one, uh, word one last time? And uh, I have to be honest with you this morning. I, um, I, I shared with you last night that in my study in John 17, I was right up to the edge and I was, I was praying and working this week on, on one more thing and I, I just didn't feel quite ready with it yet. So uh, if you could this morning, just turn with me to the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, the last verse. And uh, we've, we've done study in... Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which is uh, back on the table. You're, you're welcome to. Wonderful, life-changing thing on the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, the gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ. And uh, as he comes on to the end of that chapter, and, and, and Dr. Whiteford already shared on this, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of cheating this week a little bit, but um, he preached on 1 Corinthians 13, and in the context, uh, and you all know, as he already shared, that there were no chapter and verse divisions in the original language, in the original writings. Um, we just put those in later so we could tell you, you know, the preacher could tell you where to turn in your Bible, right? And uh, so this is all flows together. And, and when Paul comes to 1 Corinthians 12, it's, it's, it's part of a larger section. You, you probably know this letter that this was his... Uh, this was his, uh, how shall we say, let's say it this way. You know in your family, like there, there was the good child? Was anybody here the good child? You know? Joy was, I should have known that. So, and you know how in your family there was one of the challenging children? Remember that? Were any of you the challenging child in the family? Okay. Some of you were neither, what? You're like, what's the deal? First Corinthians was the challenging child in Paul's uh, churches that he disciple, And so he keeps in correspondence, you know, second missionary journey, make a long story short, he goes there on that second journey, he stays with them 18 months, which I love that he's, can you imagine Camp Psyker for 18 months? Wow. <laughs> so he stayed with them 18 months and he shared his life with them and he shared truth with them and he just established them in the Lord and then he um, went on to do that in other places, as you know, on his missionary journeys. But he kept in touch, and I love that, the relational approach that he has with the churches. 
And so it goes on. And four years later, as he's hearing, he hears that there, don't be shocked at this. He hears that there are problems in the church. Don't be shocked. There's these problems in the church. So he writes this letter. Actually, this is probably the second letter he wrote, but we call it 1 Corinthians. It was in the canon of scripture. So um, he writes this letter and he's addressing all the issues that they had in the church to try to bring them to the answer that Jesus is really the answer. What we've been talking about this week, what this whole message and what this whole camp stands for, that Jesus Christ can really live in you and live through you and cause you to be different than you've ever been. That message. He says that's the answer to every single one of the things going on in your church. Church division, that's the answer. Jesus in you and Jesus through you. Marriage, that's the answer. Jesus in you, Jesus through you. Sexuality, that's the answer. Jesus, his power in you and Jesus through you and your body. So he comes to this new issue in chapter 12, and it was, I'm not going to go into it all, but the gifts of the Spirit, and they were misusing that. They were, they were making a big deal out of one of them and trying to make that the litmus test if you had the Spirit or not and all this stuff. And he, he tries to bring them back to this focus on Jesus in all of that, and he takes three chapters to do it. He thinks this is so important, he takes three chapters, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. So chapter 12, he's addressing all this. The gifts of the Spirit are all about him, not us. And chapter 14, he gives some very specific guidelines on how the gift of languages should be used, which was the one gift they were making a bigger deal about than the others. Paul says, I'm not delegitimizing that. I'm just saying, don't get focused on that instead of him. We need to stay focused on him and let him do what he wants. So chapter 14, he says, now let's talk about some proper ways for that gift to be used. And in the middle, he puts chapter 13, which is an interesting interlude in the whole discussion about what this spirit of Christ in you looks like in all of this. And the last verse of chapter 12 <clears throat> is something of an introduction. It's like, building off what he said in all of chapter 12, and it's like this somewhat of a slight introduction to the whole 1 Corinthians 13 chapter. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's well-known and beloved in Christian circles. It's on things in the Christian bookstore. Maybe you, you even have it crocheted on a pillow. I don't know. Wherever. It, 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 we, we all know 1 Corinthians 13. And why, what is the purpose of this, this chapter? Some people think that he, he came so hard on this issue in, in chapter 12. I mean, really comes strong on, on how he, which he often does to this particular church. He speaks very strongly to them. And many people believe that chapter 13 is kind of the softening. You know, it's that truth and love, you know, speaking the truth in love kind of a thing. But whatever the case, chapter, the last verse of 12 is this, is this introduction. And I'd like to just look at that with you this morning briefly and something that's really struck my life and, and a little bit of chapter 13. You know it well. He says the last verse, chapter 12, verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And then he says this simple phrase, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And yet I show you a more excellent way. That's what we desire, Jesus. We desire to go home tomorrow or Monday or tonight in the more excellent way. In our families, in a more excellent way. At our jobs, in our churches, in a more excellent way. Even the rest of this day on these grounds, the opportunity that you give us, every breath that we breathe in a more excellent way. Thank you, Jesus that it's not only possible, it's the promise of the Spirit. And we love you today, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. So again, very simply, that verse that we read is that leading into chapter 13. And the one thing that Paul really, I think, that Paul communicates through this letter, and it kind of comes clear in chapter 13 as well, is, again, it's the overall. Remember, when, when these letters were written to a church like Corinth, um, they didn't do like I do. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to dissect them and, you know, I, I don't understand their culture and their language, so I have to, 
I take a long time to understand stuff. Anybody else here today? I take a long time to understand stuff. But you understand, these letters were mostly read in one sitting. They would have sat the church down, said, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Whoa, everybody gather in. And they would take this whole day or this whole several hours and they would read this letter from Paul, maybe discuss it. They might have read it several times over successive days, but it was all read. So in their minds, everything they've heard through this whole letter is ringing in their ears as they come to chapter 13, the end of chapter 12. And you know, the whole letter, and he comes to chapter 13 in, and and one of the things we would say is, it's all about Jesus. It really is all about Jesus. You say, now wait a minute, John, I appreciate you, you're a nice guy, we've tolerated your preaching this week, but uh, we, hey, I don't see Jesus mentioned one time in chapter 13. Oh, not on the surface. Not on the surface. But you understand that the scripture is all about Jesus. As a matter of fact, we talk about the written word is the revelation of the living word. Jesus had this discussion back in John when he was talking with the Pharisees. And, uh, you know, these guys were experts in the scripture and all that. And Jesus says this to them in John 5, 39. He says, you guys search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Jesus said the scriptures, which for them would have been the Old Testament, the the law and the prophets, the poetic writings, the scriptures testify of Jesus. He goes on later in John 5 to say, he says this, if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Now you know we believe that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, your favorite devotional books. Leviticus, you know, Numbers. You know what Jesus says those are about? This isn't John's idea, this isn't my idea. You know what Jesus says those are about? Those books are about Jesus, he says. Moses wrote about me. You say, no, wait a minute. I've read Leviticus. I really endured through Leviticus. I read through Numbers. I did not see Jesus mention one in those books, once in those books. And he would say, oh, not on the surface, but I was in the depth of that truth. I am the living word that the written word exposes. So when we come to 1 Corinthians, we realize it all points to Jesus. It's all a revelation. That's why, that's what Paul, that's why, Paul, in the first 10 verses of the letter, does what every single one of us learned to do in speech class or when we wrote our term papers. Everybody remember writing? I don't mean to bring up a sore memory, but do you remember writing term papers? Do you remember what they told us to do? You have to write a thesis. And hey, your thesis, in the introduction, you give your thesis. And then there's the body where you justify your thesis. And then you give a conclusion to restate your thesis. And remember, in the thesis, what are you doing? You're saying that the thesis, this is the big idea. This is what it's going to be all about, right? Do you remember doing that? Anybody do that? Did you write a thesis? Yeah? Three of you? Good. Okay. So anyway... So Paul in his thesis statement in the first 10 verses of the letter, guess what he does? He mentions Jesus 10 times in the first 10 verses. In other words, he's saying, this is my, he is my thesis. He's the answer to everything I want to talk to you about. So it's no surprise in chapter 12, when he starts talking about a new problem, which was the gifts of the Spirit, Notice what he does. He says in verse three, he says, no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Oh, you know what the real litmus test of the Holy Spirit is? A focus on Jesus. Not that you have one gift or another. The real litmus test, the real evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is Jesus and a focus on him. So again, he's coming back to Jesus. So I say to you, as you come to chapter 13, it's all about Jesus. The assumption when you talk about love, I mean, we know it's the love chapter and all that, but we understand scripturally, when we talk about love, we're talking about him. Love is not a thing. Love is not a substance. Love is not a feeling. Love is a person. He says that in 1 John. 1 John says that. John says that in his first epistle, 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, God is love. In other words, love is God. Any true love, agape love, there's only one source for that. That doesn't just spring up. It doesn't just fall off trees. It doesn't just kind of well up in the emotions of humanity and human nature. There's only one place that agape comes from, and it's God because it's who he is. 
We sing it in And Can It Be. Emptied himself of all but love. Because it's who he is. Love is God and God is love. So when we look at chapter 13, I'm not gonna go into it this morning. Dr. Whiteford did such an amazing job on that the other morning, you should get the recording. But just to look at chapter 13, notice that as it describes love, did you notice how it describes characteristics? As a matter of fact, back up to the chapter 12, verse 31, as he's introducing love, notice that he says, I show you a more excellent Way He doesn't say, I show you a more excellent feeling. He doesn't say, I show you a more excellent emotion, a more excellent thought. He says, I show you a more excellent way. In other words, it's a way of life. Isn't it interesting that in the book of Acts, Christians, Christianity, before they were called Christians at Antioch, it was first called the way. Because it is a way of life. And we're all familiar with those beautiful passages in 1 Corinthians 13 where he describes love, it suffers long, is kind, verse four, it does not envy, it does not parade itself, it is not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. You say, my goodness, it sounds like it's talking like, it sounds like he's talking about a person. He is. <laughs> he's literally describing the characteristics, the traits of the person of Jesus. It all points to Jesus. As we've already said, no matter what the world says, I don't care what the Beatles said. I don't care what contemporary singers say, you know. I don't care what Blue Suede sang, hooked on a feeling. And I don't care what the, you, you know, we have a new, you know, hippies are coming back, you know. I don't know if you noticed. Coming back. Peace, joy, and love, man. It's all coming back. You seen the symbols? It's coming back. And what the world really needs is love. That's right. We need more peace in our world and we need more love. And we talk about love as if it's, as if it's a thing. We talk about love as it's, a, as it's, listen to our generations talk, listen to the world talk. Everybody talks about love as an emotion. Everybody talks about love as a feeling. But we know biblically, love's not a feeling, it's not a thing, it's not a phenomenon. Love is a person. And the invitation of the Christian life is, how would you like to have that person come and live in you and be what he is in and through you? And that's love. When he shows himself through you, it starts to look like the characteristics we read. It starts to look like the fruit of the Spirit. It starts to look like who he is, and that's love. See, love can't be imitated this morning, no matter how hard we try. Love can't be forced, no matter how guilty we feel. Love can't be produced, squeeze it out of myself, grunt and strain a lot. It can't be made, it is a way, it is him. Love is Jesus, it is a person. That's the simple truth. Now about this love, as Paul introduces this whole thing of who Jesus is and he is love, and this is Corinthians, listen, this is what he wants to, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, and he did such a beautiful job on this, I don't know if you noticed, everything that the apostle Paul describes in this chapter is the opposite of how the Corinthians have been acting towards each other. So the whole letter, he's been pointing out all the ways they don't act like this, and now he's showing them, listen, this is who he is and how he wants to be through you. And about this love, about this Jesus and living through you, one of the things that just really strikes me about the introductory statement in verse 31 of chapter 12 is, I don't know, I'm always searching on terms, you know. It's a call to an elevation of life. It's a call to a higher way. Of course, we sing that kind of stuff. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound. Lord, lead me on to, nice and loud now, higher ground, that's right. So it's an, this call is an elevation. Interesting, look at the first phrase in, in verse 31. He says, earnestly desire the best gifts. Now what he's saying is, you Corinthians, Boy, I love you guys, but you're a bunch of knuckleheads sometimes, in Jesus' name. Okay, but here's what's happening. You guys, you got so focused on the gift, you forgot the giver. You ever been there? 
You got so focused on the gift, you forgot it's all about the giver. And by the way, when you get focused on the gift instead of the giver, you're off focus. So he's been spending this whole chapter saying, come on, you guys, let's get back to the giver. Come on, come on back to the focus. Remember when I was with you for 18 months? Remember how we, t- remember how we talked about this? <laughs> remember how we talked about it's all about him? Remember how he said it's, it's him in and through you? Remember how we said your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Remember all that stuff? Well, come on, you, you got focused and it's easy to do. It's easy to do, I know. It's easy to get caught up in the ministry it's easy to get caught up in the gift. Oh, what's my gift? You know, it's easy to get caught up in that instead of him. So he says, you guys been, in focusing on the gifts, you've been focusing like down here. You've been focusing on, on this instead of him. And so he says, earnestly desire the best, in other words, what's of him. Earnestly desire what, what he is instead of, instead of just what he does. Earnestly desire who he is instead of just what he does through you. So earnestly, he's calling them out. I love that about Paul. In love, I I don't know how he does this. I wish Jesus could do this through me more. But that perfect balance of truth and love, he just calls them out. And he's calling them upward, saying, earnestly desire the best gifts. Now, that's a call up. But look at what he does. In the next phrase, the next sentence, he says, and yet... I show you a more excellent way. He's calling them up again. He said, no, wait a minute. I thought you just called us out. I thought you just called us to a higher level. He's like, I know, but I'm calling you to another higher level. But isn't that the way the Christian life is? See, isn't that why you and I come to camp meeting? See, isn't that why when I come to camp meeting, I've got to sit up close. I don't know about you. I've got to come to this tabernacle when Dr. Whiteford preaches tonight because I need something new in my life from Jesus tonight, don't you? And we come to this, I'm not mailing it in tonight. I'm not coming here to just spectate. I'm coming tonight to this service because I need more. You say, well, hasn't he worked in your life already this week? Well, absolutely. But guess what? Yesterday's gone. Today I'm in need. And isn't the Christian life, especially us holiness folks, we believe that we've not arrived. There's no arrival. That doesn't mean I can't be at peace where I am by saying yes to Jesus and letting him work in my life. There's an incredible peace in that. Thank you, Jesus. I can lay my head down on my pillow every single night and know that I know that I know that I'm in Christ and he's in me and I'm exactly where he has me to be in my spiritual life. Amen? What a joy there is in that, the assurance of that. And yet, every new morning, he wants to do something new in me. So I just know, I just know that that's why you come to camp meeting. That you're saying, thank you, God, for all you've been doing this next year, this last year in my life, but I'm coming to Camp Syker this year because I'm ready for something more. I'm ready for a more excellent, oh, Jesus, call me higher. And I just know for those of us who God's worked in this week, including myself, we're coming to the service tonight to say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. And I just know when you go back to your congregation next Sunday, we gotta go back, you know. I just know when you go back to your congregation next Sunday, you're gonna, you're gonna get into that service and you're gonna say, Jesus, hey, Camp Sacker was great, but man, you're the same Jesus here that you were there. And I just know that you're gonna go in there seeking and saying, man, I'm just ready, I'm just ready for you to do something brand new more in my life this week, Jesus. Because that's the Christian life, isn't it? And I hope you never quit. That's why in that verse, and yet, whenever you start out a sentence with yet, you know there's more to come, don't you? It's like when my coach in high school would say, John, you did, get a, get a, you did a great job on that race. Yet, he said, oh no, there's more coming. Yet means more to come. Yet, I show you a more excellent way. There's more. There's more. But my favorite part about this verse and the escalation, the invitation to the higher, the invitation to call out, the call forward, the call to more of what he wants to do is that word more excellent. In Greek, it's one word. More excellent, one word. And I'd like, to, I'd like you to learn with me this morning that Greek word. We don't always do this. As a matter of fact, I told people this week, you know, when I was in seminary, 
they taught us not to use Greek in our sermons, so I'm breaking all the rules, all right? But in the Greek, this word that's translated more excellent is hyperbole, hooperbole, hooperbole. It's actually a compound word. That's two words put together. In Greek, the preposition huper and the, and the root bale. So let me share what those mean. Huper is a preposition that means either above or beyond, or both. Above, huper, above or beyond. And bale is a root from which, uh, and from that, we get the verb balo, which means to throw. So literally, when you put these two concepts together, huper, above and beyond, bale, or balo, to throw, it's the idea of to throw beyond. You get what he's saying? So, oh, by the way, can you, you know what English word we get from that? Anybody heard the English word hyperbole? It's literally the idea of above and beyond, excess, superiority, great degree, excess, way beyond. Oh, by the way, that's what hyperbole is. In the English, we use the word hyperbole. Right, that's what hyperbole is. Hyperbole is excess, overstatement. You've never done that, have you? You ever overstated something? You ever like said it bigger than it really was? You know what I mean? How many of you this morning would, would confess to hyperbole in your life at some point? I kind of exaggerated. I kind of said it more. I wanted it to look bigger than it was. I overstated, stated it bigger than it really, exaggerated hyperbole. You realize that our world is full of hyperbole, is it not? Especially now with media. Pray for the sanctified fisherman that doesn't use hyperbole. It was this big, right? I exaggerated. It was hyper. It was really this big, but I don't know. My hands just couldn't help it. It was. It was this big. Hyperbole, exaggeration. Our world's full of hyperbole. Advertisement, right? Have you experienced? Has anybody experienced hyperbole advertisement? You know those 1995 commercials? This is, this is great. It'll change your life. It'll make your life better. And everybody will love you. It's just amazing. It'll, it, oh, and, and three easy payments, 1995, right? Everything, sales, every, every, every sales, everything is sold to be bigger and better and more effective than it really is. Hyperbole. Social media is full of hyperbole. How many of us he shared this the other service. How many of us try to, we want to show the picture that makes us look best. We want to put the post that makes us look best. We're not showing really the whole story, just the part that makes me look best and everything. Do you find that social media is exaggerated, everything? All the statements are big. Everything is exaggerated. Everything's blown out of proportion. All these discussions, you know, all these things fill up my my, my, my feed, right? I got all these discussions of people every because somebody overstated this and then somebody overstates it back and then somebody overstates it back and it's all hyperbole. There's this like new phenomenon in the last 10 to 15 years, you know, in our culture with young people that they're always like the thrill seeking of, of like, um, you know, the X games and just like the bigger, you know, more challenging, exciting. See, everybody's looking for the bigger, the more exciting, the greater, the hyperbole. Do you have a feeling that the reason that we tend towards hyperbole, fishing, advertising, social media, is that as human beings, we're looking for something? Is that as human beings, we really desire and hope and believe there must be something more? And isn't it true this morning that Paul had it right, church family? Jesus is the answer to that. Isn't it true this morning that Jesus, we were made, as Paul said in Colossians, we were made through him and for him, and the reason I long for something more is because there is something more, and it's him. He's the more. Do you believe that today? Jesus is the more. Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum inside every man. It only can be filled by him. 
that Jesus is the more, that this Christian life, the New Testament message says, listen, you're invited to the more. Everything you ever long for, what your deepest desires are, everything that you ever hope for can come true, not in going to Disney, but it can come true in Jesus. Everything, everything you've ever wanted, everything that you dreamed, man, just in your heart of hearts, what God gave you, you were made through him and for him, and there is more. There is more than how I've been living. You ever have a feeling like you're living below your means? You ever feel in your Christian life like, man, I've been a Christian, I'm a sanctified Christian, I'm seeking the Lord, but somehow there's stuff in my life that just, man, I know Jesus, you got more. I'm living below my means. You understand what Paul's saying in chapter 13 and as he leads into it, Jesus is the more and he's offering us a way to live beyond our means. Wouldn't it be something to be a human being in this world and say, man, I've got a means beyond myself. I don't have to live according to my means. I can live in, 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 not in my power, but his power. I can live not in my wisdom, but in his wisdom. I can live not with what I can produce, but what he can produce. This, if you will this morning, what if, as Christians, you and I are called to a hyperbole life? Did you know the scripture's full of hyperbole? I mean, really, if you think about it, I don't want to be sacrilegious this morning or disrespectful, but did you know that from a world's view, the scripture is full of ridiculous statements? And sometimes I wonder if I really believe them. You ever look at God's word and look at your own life and say, man, do I really believe that? And does my life really reflect it? I believe it with my head, but I'm looking at my life, I'm looking at my struggles, I'm looking at how I am and going, man, God, I mean, you know the stuff I'm talking about. Everybody know John 10, 10? Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more. What? That's hyperbole. Come on, really? Abundantly? You know what abundantly means? It's like more than you need. It's the gourds thing. It's the overflow. It's like more than you could ask for. Really, abundantly? Do you believe that this morning? Do I believe, does John believe, do I really believe in an abundance? Do I believe that Jesus, that doesn't just talk, that's not just, you know, preacher thing, that's not just a nice camp meeting message, that's not crochet on a pillow. Do I really believe that Jesus can give me and be in me abundant life. Dr. Gary's been teaching that wonderful study on Ephesians and he got to that prayer in Ephesians 3 and you know the statement. Ephesians 3.20. We use it as a benediction in church sometimes, ready? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, now wait a minute, that's a little repetitive, Exceedingly would have been good. Abundantly would have been good. But he puts them together as if to multiply it. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. You know what I say to that? Hyperbole. Hyperbole. Really? Do I really believe that? You really believe that this morning? Really? God can do exceedingly abundantly. I mean, that's more than I ask or think. I can ask or think a lot. Really, do you really believe that this morning? Is that really true? Is it really a fact? Is it really? And man, the one that makes me, ups the the one that makes me most upset is Peter. And that ticks me off this one. You know his statement. Peter's writing along here and he comes to that first chapter and he's talking about Jesus and this inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. And he talks about in verse six, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. 
And he says that the genuineness of your faith may be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. Important since we had that hymn in the hymnal, he should put it in scripture. Anyway, so. You know who he's saying that to? People on the run, people spread by persecution, some of the Christians in Cappadocia that he names up in the first verse, some of the Christians in Cappadocia that are literally living their lives in underground caves, seven stories down under the ground in Cappadocia, children that are born down there and live their entire lives out of the light of day, never see the light of day, maybe for an entire life, live their entire existence in in an underground cave city in Cappadocia. And he says, you can read Rejoice with a joy inexpressible. It's so great you don't even have words for it and full of glory. I say hyperbole. You believe that? Do I believe that? And yet over and over throughout the New Testament, it's this message, you were made for more. He's got more for you. You don't, have to, you don't have to crawl when you can run. You don't have to live at the level you're living at. You don't have to continue for an entire life with the struggles you've got. That's what we believe about holiness. See, a holiness message says, listen, you don't need to be the same way. Oh, we understand well of patterns, and we understand that we've got what John Wesley called human limitations. Anybody have any? Or that he could take those and maybe throughout the course of my life he could take a pure heart and Jesus can begin to even give me victory in some of that. Might not happen overnight. Maybe it takes a lifetime. Maybe some he never does. But man, in the middle of all that, that there could be abundance and exceeding more than I can ask or imagine and joy inexpressible and full of glory. I love how Josh Groban and others sing that song. You ever heard it? You raised me up to more than I can be. I shared last night, my favorite group is uh, Casting Crowns. And they got this song, I don't know if you ever heard, it's called Thrive. They might play it at my funeral, not sure, but. We were made to thrive. And I know what you're saying, because I think the same thing. See, I want to believe that. I think it's the truth, it's God's word. I believe God's word is truth, but here's, here's my deal. I just don't see much of it. I don't see much thriving. I don't see much more than you can be. I don't see much abundant life. I don't see much joy and express. Well, have you ever noticed how many exclamation points there are in our hymnal, by the way? You ever notice that? Next time you sing one of our hymns, look at how many exclamation points there are. I want to ask you this. How often do I sing with exclamation points? I mean, I've sung that song before. Joy unspeakable and full of all. He said, man, I don't see it, John. I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not here, church, this morning to criticize my denomination. I'm not here to criticize the, the camp. I'm not here to criticize my, my church. I'm, not, I'm, not here. I'm looking at me. I'm looking in the mirror even. I don't have to look beyond my own home, beyond me, beyond my own mirror when I'm shaving in the morning to say, listen, I don't see it much. And if I don't see it much in me, then it's not hard to spot that same thing happening in my church or anywhere else. I don't see it much. So how do we know it's real? Oh, that's, that's, he says this, though. He gets to that. Notice in the introductory statement in 1231 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I show you. <laughs> the word show there in Greek is a word that literally means the idea of bringing it to light, displaying it, exhibiting it. And by the way, it's in the present tense, which some of you are interested in that kind of thing. In Greek, present tense means it's an ongoing thing. And so Paul says, Corinthians, I am showing it to you a more excellent way. 
I'm showing it to you. I just wanna tell you about it. I want to literally show it to you. See, this whole thing, this abundant life, this, if you allow me, hyperbole life, this life of holiness, this life of more than we can be, this life of thriving, this life of abundance, this life of joy, unspeakable and full of glory, is meant to be not just talked about, not just preached about, it's meant to be shown. But that's how discipleship works. Discipleship works not just by hearing something, but by seeing something. You know what I mean? Anybody here a visual learner too besides me? You know, you always take notes and I love seeing things, you know, slides and outlines and all kinds of cool stuff, right? Helps you learn it when you not just hear it, but when you see it at the same time. That's why Paul, Apostle Paul, when he is discipling these churches, look at all the ways he interacts with them. You know what I mean? He doesn't just, I love this about Paul. He's not what I call a hit and run evangelist. You know what I mean? You know what a hit and run evangelist is? Hit and run evangelist is the evangelist who comes in and gives them the message and bugs out and you never see him again, right? He's not the hit and run. He's the evangelist. How long did he stay at Corinth? 18 months. Anybody know how long he stayed at Ephesus? Two years. He lives with them, he lives among them, he's with them day by day, alongside of them. Oh, he writes some letters. Oh, he revisits churches on his missionary journeys. I don't know if you never noticed that. Read Acts, look at the cool maps in the back of your Bible. Oh, look at that map. He's going to the same church there on the second missionary journey that he went to on the first. Oh, look, the third missionary journey, he's going back again. What's with this guy? Relationship. He's saying, I show you, look, by being with you, I'm visiting, I'm writing letters with you. Hey, I'm, I'm, I have a relationship with you. I'm sending Timothy to you. I'm sending one of my guys to you. We, we read all throughout Corinthians, places like chapter four. He says this in chapter four, verse 16, I urge you, imitate me. Says the same thing in chapter 11, verse one. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now what he means by that, don't, Okay, I need to grow my beard like Paul, wear sandals like Paul, not that. But my, my life, look, look, you're gonna see warts. Hey, Paul's not perfect. He spills on himself. Sometimes he has to apologize like we heard in Bible study this morning. Hey, sometimes he gets a little hot, whatever. He's got mistakes, got human limitations like you and I do. But oh, there's something happening inside of that man that's bigger than him. You see a man that's living beyond his means. You see a man that there's something in him that's bigger than him. It's more than he can do. It's more than he can be. And you're seeing it in his life. Well, of course, of course that's how discipleship happens. As I asked Grace and Ron to help me this morning. Hey, anything we learn, you learn by watching, right? Anything you learn, you learn by watching. Anybody here this morning learn to cook by hanging, just hanging around in the kitchen, watching grandma or mom learn to cook like that? How about carpentry or woodworking? Anybody learn carpentry or woodwork just by auto mechanics? Boy, I wish I would have. You just hang around, you just kind of learn how to, you just learn it by just watching it and being around it. Teaching, some of us learned how to teach just by, man, there was a teacher in our life and we just not only heard their content, we watched them and learned their method and their style and, their, and, and how they went about that and they just, we just absorbed all that and just kind of became part of who we are. That's how discipleship. Paul says this excellent way, this hyperbole life, I show you, I show you. Don't just hear my words, watch my life. Can I ask you something this morning? For those watching your life and watching my life, what are they seeing? Now I know good and well this morning, beloved, as people get up real close to John, you're gonna see a lot of things that aren't perfect yet. Aren't you glad God's still working on us in this holiness thing? You see a lot of mistakes, need for apology, things that aren't all together shaped up yet. Wouldn't it be something this morning if they could see something bigger than me? Abundance, 
more than I ask or imagine, joy unspeakable, thriving. And I know, I know, I know, I, I hear it in myself, inside of me, my, I just react, I just kind of say, I almost want to cry out this morning, but I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> doing the best I can as a dad. I'm doing the best I can as a husband. I'm doing the best I can with you this week. I'm doing the best I can at my church. And man, I'm trying to thrive. I'm trying to be different. I'm trying to live an abundant life. I'm trying, God. And, and he says, yeah. You ready for something more than you can be? So very simply this morning, I, I just want to ask you, if there's anybody here, if there's a single person here this morning that says, Jesus, tired of where I am, tired of, oh, it's, it's not that I'm not saved, it's not that I'm not sanctified, but Jesus, there are some things in my life, Jesus, I wanna be more than I am. I, I want there to be an abundance in my life. I'm tired of just crawling when I can run. Jesus, more than I can ask or imagine. I was made to thrive, so Jesus, I'm asking you this morning, would you just do something in me that causes me to thrive today? Would you do something in my life that even, Jesus, I'm, I'm so ashamed today that Peter said to a group of people that lived their entire life in an underground cave and they had to have their, haul, their food hauled in by buckets and their waste products hauled out by buckets and they lived down in caves their entire lives and and he said to them, for you, for you, there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I cry when the internet's slow. And Jesus, this morning, I want you to be able to place me wherever you place me. I wanna be able to be wherever you want me to be. And Jesus, that you could do something in my life this morning, thrive. You say, I'm not where I wanna be. John, this morning, boy, I'm kind of ashamed there's things in my life, but I'm, I'm a little embarrassed about it. But I kind of tell you this morning, one last thing. Can I tell you this morning, it's okay. It's always a call to hire, isn't it? It's always a call to hire. And he's not done with us now. And we, when we respond to this, he's not done with us after that either. So would you this morning not be afraid to just let Jesus by his love and by his grace and his power just keep taking you from where you are to where he has for you and where you are for where he has for you. While well, Ron leads us this morning, you wanna come and pray? I wanna just say, Jesus, you're thriving, you're abundant life. Jesus, I'm ready for a hyperbole life in you. Would you find a way to respond this morning to him? Find a way to respond to Jesus this morning while Ron leads us. Would you join us in that? To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask, to be like Him, all through life's journey. From earth to glory, all I ask is to be like Him, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask. journey from earth to glory all I have to be like him to be like Jesus to be like Jesus all I journey from earth to glory 
Gracious God, on the one hand, we are so thankful that you accept us the way we are, that your love for us is not dependent on us. Lord, we thank you, on the other hand, that you are always calling us higher, that you say to our hearts and our minds, our spirits, I have something more for you a more excellent way, a more excellent plan. And Lord, you set before us Jesus. Father, don't let us be satisfied with where we are, assuming that you don't have anything more for us, that we've arrived or we've gone as far as we can. Lord, create in us, stoke in us a holy dissatisfaction. Yes, Lord, to know that we are loved and the recipients of your grace and mercy in abundance. Lord, to never be satisfied that somehow we've gone as far as we can. Lord, keep calling us higher, we pray stirring us and moving us. Lord, as we have prayed so many times already in this camp, to respond. Don't let us be satisfied simply with saying, I had a good experience. Lord, keep moving us. That we would respond to you in whatever way the Spirit leads. Thank you for those who have already responded. Lord, if there are others, who have been stirred and moved and convicted, may they be quick to move as well. But Father, as we have already been reminded, we pray now that the one who can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever hope for or ask, can be magnified in our lives. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.